0: Jeff, many of you that are new may not know that Pastor Jeff actually wrote that song from Psalm 46, and he did a beautiful job, and we are discussing putting a writing team together, and I know he's talking about writing more songs for the Grace family that we can learn together and share together. If you came in and did not get the elements yet, the little cup, these are brand new, we're trying something different that's sanitary, but that will help you out. If you did not get some of the bread and the juice, but you would like to participate in communion today. Would you just slip your hand up? Deacons are all over the place. Okay. Thank you, guys. They'll hook you up. Hands in a Baptist church. Take a picture. Praise God. Here we go. All right. All right. I'm going to post that today and say thousands were saved. No, I'm kidding. I won't do that. Uh, just, uh, I know guys that would. Just uh, just just get your elements. We'd love for you to participate with us. If you are uh, born again, baptized, believer in Christ, you do not have to be a member of grace. And if you're at home, I should have said this in last service and I totally forgot, but if you're out there, go ahead and get something, okay? Uh, some Ritz and some water or juice or wine or whatever you do at your house or, you know, Oreos and Coke. Just get something and get it ready, okay? And uh, we would love for you to participate with us a little later in the service. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark 4, please. I told you last week and this week I'm in this mini-series on sort of navigating problems, facing storms. And then uh, in, in two weeks we'll be back in First John. I'll be finishing our First John series, getting ready for the holidays. It's Almost impossible to think. We're coming up, you know, on uh, Halloween and then, which we're not celebrating, by the way, but we're coming up on Thanksgiving and then the Christmas season. It's incredible uh, how things have flown, but I will be doing some special things and we'll be back. So thank you for. Being a part, and thank you for tuning in out there. So many of you uh, encourage me every week. You will write us. You will send me notes about messages and maybe some questions. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for reaching out. There is a trend that I have noticed, and some of our media team and communications departments talk to me about churches taking their staff off their website, and then you don't know who the pastors are, you don't know who the staff is, you don't. And, and I'm going, why? Uh, we want to be accessible to you. We want you to know that we are shepherds, but we are also sheep. And we're with you. We're in this together. The only reason I'm even standing on a platform is so y'all can see me. If I was down there at my height, you wouldn't see me, okay? so. I don't know why that trend, but all of our guys and all of our ladies are accessible to you and all of the employees that are part of Grace. Do you realize there are some 250 of them between church and school when you put us all together? But we are here for you and we would love to minister. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for encouraging us as we hope we encourage you. Last week, we talked about praise through problems, right? We were in Habakkuk. We said God helps us to see the reality of our problems, sin, has touched us all. God enables us to rejoice through our problems. Jesus is God's promised salvation, and we can get through it. And God gives us the resources to overcome our problems. God says, look, that mountain won't conquer you. Sometimes I'll move the mountain, but sometimes you'll walk over the mountain. But rejoice in me, trust in me. And the account we come to today is so important in the heart and mind of God that he records it three different times. This is so cool. These stories from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic gospels. Same seeing is what synoptic means, same seeing. And so synoptic gospels often record a story with slight nuance. You say, well, there you go, pastor, that's contradiction. No, 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 no. It's like you telling the story, and you telling the story, and you telling the story, and we're getting... It's 3D, man. It's 3D. You're getting multiple perspectives of that story, that account. And so this story is so important. It's a narrative recorded three times for us. I've never done this out of Mark. I had looked at this narrative in Luke many, many years ago, um, but I've never done it in Mark. And so I went back and restudied it and put some things together for us today. We have a kind of a special day. And uh, I I hope that you'll be blessed through it. So let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's Word, Mark 4. I'll start in 35. You know the story. If you've been in church long, you know the story. But let's look at it with fresh eyes. So on that same day, that's a day when Jesus has been teaching the multitude, sharing a lot of parables. Um, On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. So he's talking to his 12 disciples, his closest followers. And now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. In other words, if you've been in a boat and it's filling, not good, right? So he was uh, in the stern, that's the back, the bow's in the front, the stern in the back. Jesus was in the back, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing?' And he arose and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceeding, that means revered, they, they were in awe. And they said to one another, who can this be, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I have felt the very way these guys have felt. Honestly, I felt like there were times you didn't care. And I know that that may rattle some people to hear me say that as their pastor, but uh, the best thing I can be for our folks is real. And there are times when i felt like that maybe you were asleep and that I didn't understand and I didn't like it, And honestly, Lord, it has been in those seasons that I really have had to choose to trust you, to choose to just take you by the hand and walk with you by faith and believe that you would lead me out. Lord, I've had to learn as Habakkuk did and as these disciples did to trust your wisdom even when I didn't understand or like your ways. And I pray today that if there's anybody in a storm, and I know there are some, uh, Sweet Janie and Davis, they just came up to pray, Lord, I know they're in this storm of cancer, but God, she has beat it before by your power and for your glory, and she is beating it again. And there are other things that we can be more than conquerors in today. So I just pray that you would open every heart and mind and speak clearly to us that we might receive your truth and then apply it for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, be seated. And so today we're going to see how the storms of life reveal a lot about our faith in Jesus. Now, what I hope for you is that the storms of life strengthen your faith in Jesus, that you press in rather than run away. So first we see this. Storms reveal our faith in the plan of Jesus. Storms reveal our faith in the plan of Jesus. Verse 35, don't miss this. On this day when Jesus has been teaching and given all these parables, when evening comes, he says to the disciples, let us together cross over to the other side. So he makes his boys get in a boat and says, we're going across the Sea of Galilee. Now, i got a real important question to ask you guys, okay? Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, God the Son. Jesus, divinity in flesh. Do you think Jesus Christ may have known a storm was brewing on the horizon? Yes, no. Well, I'd say so. He's better than the Weather Channel, y'all. You know, Matt Hinken, Matt, I love you. I know you just retired. You've been the weatherman here like, uh, I don't know, a long time. Forty years, thirty years? I don't know. He started when he was two, right? So Matt Hinken... <laughs> Is a great weatherman. Jesus is a better weatherman. Okay. Jesus is better. Jesus knows. He knows exactly what's about to happen. But he is so exhausted, he goes back in the back of the boat and he goes to sleep. Now, I would ask this question. Could it be that Jesus was doing all this teaching... And then he maybe sent these boys, including himself, but he sent them into the midst of the storm so that they had a life lesson worked out in front of them. Could it be possible? Yes, I think it was. Now, now here's another question you may not like, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Could it be that we sometimes enter a storm by obeying the Lord? Oh ho ho. Well, no, pastor. If everything's good and easy, then I'm in the will of God. But if it's hard, surely that's not God's will for me. No, Mr. Osteen, that may be God's will for you. Oh, did I? I, I, sh- I thought it. I didn't. See. It came out of my mouth. Oh, yeah, no filter. Listen, here's the reality, guys. Sometimes your boat is getting struck because you're right where God wants you to be. No way, Jack. Oh, really? Tell it to Jesus. Jesus Christ being spit upon, being whipped, being mocked, having a crown of thorns placed on his head, nails in his hands and feet, stretched out on a wooden cross in the midst of shame and agony and pain, and in the greatest storm any person could ever face is right where God wanted him to be. Did you know that? He's right where the Lord wanted Somebody going to wake up. Mike Florida, are you in here? They better wake up, man. I told you earlier I want your towel. I gotta wave something. Some of y'all right here doing okay. Y'all are dead. Now wake up. Oh, come on. Thank you. So the reality is sometimes we're in the midst of the storm because God wants us to be in the midst of the storm. He's trying to teach you something in the midst of the storm. He wants you to know that without difficulties and trials and stresses and failures, you will never fully be what the Lord wants you to be. Like the clay, it's got to be molded and mashed and made anew to be something grand. And when the potter is molding the clay, the clay has no right to say, ouch, What are you doing? The clay says, thank you, master, I'll take it. And when you go into the flame to be hardened up, the master knows what he's doing because without adversity we would be insufferably self-centered and proud and one-dimensional and empty. And Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. Let us get across this lake, not let us go into the middle of this lake and be drowned. That is not what Jesus said. And yet these boys didn't understand the plan of Jesus. Secondly, storms not only reveal our faith in the plan of Jesus, but they reveal our faith in the presence of Jesus. The fact is, there were other boats around, but Jesus was in their boat. And that made all the difference. Notice they left the multitude, took him along with the where the boats were, the little boats were with them. A great windstorm arose. The waves beat into the boat. The boat was already filling. We were out on Loudon one day a few months ago, and we hit a wave. Man, one of these big fancy boats came by, and mine's not. And that wave hit us, and you talk about a wave coming over. I wet the whole crew. It was great. Thankfully, my boat has some holes in the back where it will self-drain. But if it hadn't had them, I promise you, we would have been bailing water. Because you don't want water in the boat. And here it says that water was coming in, but Jesus, in the back, in the stern, was asleep on a pillow. So they have to wake him up. Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Now, this scene is interesting, right? You see Jesus exhausted. He's been giving it out all day. And I'll be honest with you all. I go home after preaching, I'm tired. I can teach a three-hour college course in front of a bunch of college kids. I can teach a three-hour block and be fine. I can go out and do anything. I can preach a couple times, and I'm exhausted. It's a different level, and Jesus has been preaching. Jesus has been sharing the kingdom of God. Jesus has been giving all these parables, these earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Jesus is worn out. Do you realize it's the only time in all of Scripture the Bible says Jesus was asleep? But Jesus did sleep. He slept every day, every night. You know, Jesus slept. Now, there were times probably where he was praying and he was with the Father and he would stay up all night. But Jesus slept because Jesus was and is fully human while simultaneously being fully God. And in his humanity, Jesus was exhausted. Now, he's here here at the edge of the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret. We call it the Sea of Galilee because the language of Jesus' day did not have a differential word for sea versus lake. So don't think Sea of Galilee is a big ocean. Think of this, Jordan, the Jordan River. Jordan means down from Dan. So in north Israel you have Dan. And there are the headwaters, the beginning of... Uh, the Jordan River. This is where the Jordan River starts. It bubbles out of the ground, out of the mountains, and it begins to form a river. It comes and it expands, and it's eight miles east to west, and it's about thirteen miles long. Let me make sure I'm giving you my numbers right. Yep, it's about thirteen miles north to south. The Jordan River dumps into it, and then it spills out. In fact, when we go next year, and I hope you'll go with us, the owner of the company's coming in a few weeks, and he'll tell you all about our October twenty-two trip. But the, we'll go and we'll get baptized just in the Jordan below the Sea of Galilee. So you have this bowl, the Sea of Galilee. And then the Jordan comes down, and guess where it drops? It empties into the Dead Sea. No exit. It empties down there through the wilderness. And so Jesus is saying, we're going to get out on this little lake. It's very small compared to the lakes around here. And it's got this ring of mountains around it. And so what you have is the snow-capped heights of Mount Hermon about 30 miles away. And there's a gorge that comes down that acts like a funnel. So the cold air on the tips of those mountains that are white-capped comes down into this gorge. It gets over the Sea of Galilee, Lake of Gennesaret, and it gets hot. And when cold air meets hot air, you get a spinning effect and you get storms that will come up very, very quickly. Sometimes violent storms. Some of you maybe have seen Smith Mountain Lake. Smith Mountain Lake is in Virginia. My parents had a place on it for years. Smith Mountain Lake is where What About Bob is filmed. Anybody seen What About Bob? It's really funny. Frank? No, he's teaching. I bet he's not seen it. We're going to teach him, though. We're going to teach him. So What About Bob is filmed there. It's a beautiful lake, but it's got mountains kind of around it. And Smith Mountain Lake is known to have storms that can pop up quickly. We were out, my parents weren't with us, but me and Cindy and the kids were out at a place called Hillsford Ford Bridge, it was 13 miles on the water from the place they had, and we were eating and playing putt-putt, doing ice cream, doing all the fun family stuff, and a storm started rumbling. Well, we get on the boat, and we just hammer down. My dad on that boat had a big Suzuki, and we just hammer down and try to get in front of the storm, although it felt like it was breathing down our neck, it was coming after us. Well, what do these guys do? They don't hammer down on the Suzuki or the Mercury or the Johnson. They don't hammer down. You know what they do? You have to drop the sail when the wind picks up or else it can turn your boat. And you row hard. You row hard. These guys couldn't escape. It came up on them. It is swamping them. Now imagine how you feel. The Greek phrase here when it says this was a a windy storm or it says a great windstorm arose is literally a storm of wind. This boat is not a seagoing vessel, it's a freshwater fishing boat. You can see a replica of a Jesus boat when you go to the Holy Land with us. And it says a lot about this storm's intensity, because these, many of these, are professional fishermen. Many of these earned their living on and around the Sea of Galilee, and yet these fishermen are saying, we're about to die. Matthew records it this way, Lord, save us we're going down or we're going to drown. Luke records it this way, master, master, we're going to drown. And then Mark, of course, says, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Now, you might say, there you go. See, contradiction, contradiction. Listen, Bub, if there's a storm coming up, everybody's probably hollering, hey, where's Jesus. We've seen Jesus heal people before. We've seen Jesus do all this. Hey, somebody wake him up. Hey, teacher, don't you care? I mean, they're saying all manner of stuff. But the cool thing about having the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke is you get these perspectives, and they're all true. And so you're looking into this boat, and you're seeing that these guys are terrified. Matthew records the cry for help and Luke seems to say there's a statement of doom and Mark records that one or more of the disciples think they're going to die. But remember this, this is important. Jesus didn't keep the storm from striking the boat, just sinking it. There's so much false narrative going on today. I almost hesitate to call it preaching that says, if you'll just trust the Lord, then you won't have to endure this or that. He'll give you this. He'll give you that. But the reality is you may be right where God wants you, but the storm is still striking your boat. The good news is if Jesus is in the boat of your life, your boat cannot sink. That's what the Bible teaches us, right? So your boat can't sink, but it can face storms. The 19th century composer and singer Mary Ann Baker wrote in a hymn about this text. Listen to this. No water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. What a beautiful reality. The water can't swallow you. You cannot go down when Jesus is in the boat. Remember what Jesus does to storms? Does anybody remember? He walks all over them, man. (laughs) You cannot sink when Jesus is with you, you cannot go down. Yes, you can be beat up. Yes, you can be afraid. Yes, you can be in a place of not understanding. God, where are you in this? Well, Genesis twenty-eight fifteen, the Lord says, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. And Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid or terrified because the Lord your God goes with you and he will not leave you nor forsake you. That doesn't start in Hebrews, it starts in Deuteronomy. and Isaiah 41.10, God said, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. And I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will hold you up with my righteous right hand. And Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. When you trust Christ as Lord and Savior, He gets into the boat of your life and you have nothing to worry about so long as He is there. But the reality is, if you've lived long at all, you've probably said, Lord, I don't like this. I don't understand this. Why are you sleeping? God, surely you're not paying attention to me. Now, has anybody else, or is it just me? I'm going to be real. Has anybody else questioned, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why did you do this? Or at least, why did you allow this? Has anybody else asked that question of the Lord? I saw a couple hands go up. The rest of y'all are lying. Okay, it's okay. You can repent. Man, I'm telling you, if you've been a Christian long at all, there's been something come into your life, or someone's been taken away from you, or something has happened, and you have said, God, where are you? Why would you allow this? I love you. I'm trying to walk with you, but why would this happen? Could it be that God is saying the strength is coming from the storm, not in spite of, and not just by taking you out of it every time. See, storms reveal our faith in the plan of Jesus and in the presence of Jesus. Is he in your life? And if he's not in your boat, it can sink. I'm just going to be straight. If he's not there with you by faith, if the Lord's not living in you, your boat can sink. But storms finally reveal our faith in the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus. Look at this. They cried out that they were perishing, but Jesus arose. He rebuked the wind. Then he says to the water, to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and then indicative now of the wave, there was a great calm. It looks like that rowing course behind our house. You look out on Melton Hill on a morning like this, and it's just glass. It's just the stillest thing. Jesus said to them, why are you all so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? You've been seeing me do all of these things. I've been healing people and touching people and transforming them inside and outside. How is it that you can't believe, guys? And they feared exceedingly. They had a, a reverent awe of him, and they said to one another, who can, who can this be? Even the wind and the waves obey this guy. Who is he? And they didn't even understand. This is the God who made it all. And he rebuked his creation. Rebuked is the word for censored or reproved. It's the word Jesus used to silence demons and to cast out unclean spirits and command fevers to cease. And in Mark's gospel, his words to the storm were, peace, be still. The other gospel writers say there was other things said, but in this particular account, peace, be still, keep silent, say nothing, make no sound. In fact, if you were to to translate it most literally, it would be put a muzzle on it. We might not use that language today, but we might tell somebody, hey, why don't you put a sock in it, man? Just chill out, right? You're whining. I don't do well with whining. I don't know if y'all know this. I don't know that I've told you this before, but in the Lewis house, we have a no wine zone, and I don't mean the kind in the glass, although I mean that one too. I mean it's a no wine zone in my house. We just don't do it, and if you want to whine, I'm not giving you any cheese. I'm telling you to put a sock in it. I don't want to hear it. Because God is so good to us, and yes, there are things that are hard and things we don't like and things we want to moan about, but this is a no-wine zone. And Jesus is saying, boys, what are you thinking? Don't you trust me? Don't you understand? I made all of this. I can control all of this. The one who created land and sea now stands and rebukes creation. And I believe that Jesus Christ in this moment is fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy. I actually think he's pointing us back to Psalm 107, 28 to 30. I actually think what Jesus is doing, and Jesus is waiting, he's sleeping, he knows what's coming, but then he's fulfilling what the Bible said only God could do. Listen to this. It talks about Yahweh, the Lord himself, providing deliverance for his people in time of trouble. Listen to Psalm 107. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that the waves are still. And they are glad because they are quiet. And he guides them to their desired haven. Only the Lord can do that. And here Jesus is doing that. So what must we conclude? Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God in flesh. The, the storm subsided and all was calm. This is interesting. It's the Greek aorist tense. I want to unpack that. That simply means this it means that everything just went down like imperfect tense would have indicated more of a gradual. Now, here's the deal. I've been picking around and playing, and we've been out on the water. I've been on the water most of my life. And we'd be out on the water, and I'll be playing, and it'll be windy, and maybe I'll go to the front of the boat and say, Peace, be still. And maybe for just a second, the wind will stop. But you know what's never happened? The waves have never laid down at my feet. Because anybody that knows the water knows this, that the wind comes in and kicks up the waves, right? And the wind may stop instantly, but it takes a while for the waves to lay down. They don't just lay down instantly unless something supernatural takes place. And in this account, both the wind and the waves obey the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. And so after rebuking the storm, he rebukes the disciples. He says in Luke, where's your faith? He says in Matthew, why are you fearful, you of little faith? He says in Mark, why are you fearful? Why don't you have any faith? I'm sure. He said a lot of things to them. Hey, boys, look, I'm tired. Why didn't y'all just let me sleep? I told you we were going to the other side. Can't you trust me? You've seen me working. But here's the truth, y'all Jesus had more faith in the disciples to steer the boat than they had in him to still the storm. That's a tongue twister there at the bottom. He had more faith in them to steer the boat than they had in him to still the storm. Jesus said, We've got this because we're doing it together. They've seen miracles. They've seen healings, they've seen demons cast out, but this time was different. You say, look, uh, Pastor Bobby, why is it that they've seen all this cool stuff and now they can't believe? Let me tell you why. Some of y'all would say, if I had walked with Jesus and I had saw, saw him making the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear and speak, if I had seen that, I wouldn't have doubted Jesus. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. What's the difference this time? Do you know the difference? It's happening to them. Now, see, some of y'all, don't look at me holy, by the way. Some of y'all can pray for other people really well. God, we're gonna trust you to heal my brother, heal my sister. God, we believe that you're gonna bring a healing and a touch, and you're gonna help them financially and relationally and in every way. God, I am praying, believing. And then the storm hits your boat. <laughs> Lord, where are you in this? And you struggle when it affects... Now, am I being right or not? Is that true? Come on. It's always easier to pray for the other guy than it is to apply faith in your own life. It's always easier to pray for them and say, oh, those poor people down in Haiti. But if you've ever lived through a hurricane, it's another story. It's one thing to pray for those poor folks of Louisiana. It's a whole other thing to live through the storm. And we're good at praying for them, and our faith wobbles when it hits us. That's what they're facing. For one of the first times in the gospel narrative, we're seeing the disciples facing their own storm. Now, let's be real. Have we ever felt like Jesus was asleep? Of course we have. Think about this guy. Listen to this guy from the Bible. Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And I go backward, but I can't perceive him. On the left hand, where does he work? I can't behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand. I cannot see him. Anybody know who might have said that? Job. I've tried to live a good life. I've tried to be a righteous man. I've tried to even sacrifice for my children. God, I've done all of these things, and yet you've taken everything from me, and now I'm scraping myself with broken pottery because my body's full of boils. God, where are you? Man, I've been there, and I've never even scraped my skin for boils, but I've been in the depths where i said, God, you can't possibly be in this. And you say, oh, you must have faced that before you were a pastor. Wake up, buddy. I'm still a man just like you, and I still stink like a sheep, just like some of y'all. Just because I'm called to be a shepherd doesn't mean I'm not a sheep. And the reality is, I've cried to God, too. Where are you? And in that still, quiet place, Jesus says, my child, where's your faith? Can you trust me? When you can't trace my hand, can you trust my heart? When you don't understand my ways, can you trust my wisdom? See, I quoted, I quoted Job 23, verses 8 and 9, but I didn't quote verse 10. Now listen to verse 10. So Job says, God, you're not over there. You're not back there. You're not over there. You're not over there. I cannot see you. Where are you? But in verse 10, Job says, but... God knoweth the way that I take. He hath tried me, and I shall come forth as gold, meaning the refiner has put me in the fire, and all the impurity is coming off, and God's going to scrape it off the top, and the gold doesn't like the way it feels, but the refiner knows what he's doing, and when he brings me out of the fire, I'll shine like gold. That's what Job said, y'all. See, we like to read about all that other stuff. But Job was the guy that said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know why he said that? Because his wife, a foolish woman. Now, I don't have one of those. She's a godly woman. She's a beautiful woman. I love you, I love you, I love you. But Job had a foolish woman, and she said, Job, why don't you curse God and die? Mm -mm, Mm-mm, mm-mm, you talk like a foolish woman. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Sounds a lot like Horatio G. Spafford last week. He took my Maggie and my Annie, my Betsy and my Tanetta. He took my little girls, they're gone. He said, well, God didn't take them, they just died. Well, at least God allowed it, if you believe God's sovereign. So God didn't kill them, but God allowed it, didn't he? But Spafford said, I don't like it. I don't understand it. The storm rages but it is well with my soul. And Jesus calmed the water and he spared their lives and I believe here this morning some of you are right here getting whipped and your boat is filling and you are scared and you are crying out to a God who you think is asleep or maybe not there. And I wanna encourage you to look to the only one who can bring calm to the troubled sea of your life. See the passage ends with this question, who is this that he even commands the wind and the waves? Who is this? And you know why I think it ends with a question? I think God is asking you today, who is Jesus Christ? I don't mean who do you think the pastor thinks he is. Who do you think these other people say he is? Who do you say that I am? He asked, he asked the disciples, he asked Pilate that, in fact. He would say, what is truth and who am I? And he's asking you, who do you think Jesus is? Storms reveal our faith in the plan of Jesus. They reveal our faith in the presence of Jesus. And they reveal our faith in the power of Jesus. You are not going to live long without being in a storm. You're either heading toward one, in one, or leaving one. That is the nature of life in a sin-cursed world. But what are you going to do when the boat is getting whipped? I want you to listen to this. 1932, the man is A.M. Overton. He's a pastor of a church in Mississippi with a wife and three small children. His wife was pregnant with their fourth child, and when it came time for the delivery, there were complications, and both she and the baby died. During the funeral service, the preacher officiating the service noticed Pastor Overton writing something on a piece of paper. So after the service, the officiating minister asked him about it, and he handed him the piece of paper with a poem that he had just written. This grieving husband and father wrote a poem entitled, He Maketh No Mistake. Let me share a few verses with you. My father's way may twist and turn, my heart may throb and ache, but in my soul I'm glad to know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray, my hopes may fade away, but still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. I want you to turn your attention to the screens for the third verse.
1: Though night be dark and it may seem, that day will never break, I'll pin my faith all in him for he makes not one mistake. My name is Jason Stiltner. Uh, My wife of almost 14 years, Vicki Stiltner. We have two two beautiful children. Uh, Abram, he's five, and Naomi, she's two. Uh, And I own a a business, Big Orange Tree Service in Oliver Springs, Tennessee. We've been around for 18 years. This is our 10th year full time. yeah, you know, I work a crew of usually between anywhere from five to seven guys. And uh, my dad has been with me literally the entire time uh, that I've owned the business. And, uh, you know, we we work 12 months out of the year, you know, by anybody's standards, very successful. And, um, you know, the Lord has been very gracious and very considerate. So on December the 23rd, uh, what my guys didn't know was my goal was to work half a day. We were literally—it was about 12, 12:15. 12, uh, we were finishing the job up. We were almost done, and um, and typically I don't even work on the equipment. But for whatever reason, uh, roller kept getting jammed, kept getting jammed. So I just thought, well, I'll take care of it. I know how to—I know how to fix it. But I made a very poor decision, and I was working on the machine. And as I was working on it, my dad was walking towards me, and. Um, I looked at him, I shook my head, no, please don't do that And because I, I knew what he was getting ready to do. He was getting ready to put a piece of wood in the machine as I was trying to clear the machine out and uh, uh, he didn't understand what I was doing, what I said and at that time he put the piece of wood in and when he did uh, the mouth of the chipper opened up and uh, it grabbed my hand. I didn't know how bad it was, but I knew it was bad. And because I looked down, I couldn't, I tried to move my hand, I couldn't. And I looked down again, my hand, it was a 97% amputation. But then when I saw the amount of blood, I just stopped. Literally, I stopped what I was doing. I immediately prayed. I grabbed my phone, I called my wife. My wife is a, she's a captain in the army. She's a physician assistant. And uh, she was real calm, cool, collective. She was very even keel. Um, she's like, calm down, calm down, stay, stay level headed, take your belt off, use it as a tourniquet on your arm. Obviously, 911 was called. Uh, it was maybe 10 minutes later they got there. Um, air, then they airlifted me to UT Hospital. One artery had been severed, the other artery was still intact by the grace of God. Um, truly, it was the only thing that, was, that saved my hand. Uh, was the fact that I had one artery still supplying some type of blood flow into the hand. And so I remember Dr. Harris, he's a young guy, 35, 36 years old, yeah, UT, uh, hand surgeon there at UT, and he came in, and we had a very candid conversation. Um, He's like, you need to understand, Jason, when you wake up, more than likely uh, you won't have a hand. Uh, he said, the extent of your injury is very severe, and I don't know that I can put it back together. And I looked at him and I said, uh, if you can, not give me a chance. I said, but if you can't, I understand. And uh, you know, God's grace will be sufficient to get me through whatever happens. So 10 hours later, I wake up. I look down. (laughs) I have
0: fingers.
1: (laughs) It was, uh... yeah, first words out of my mouth. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) The backstory, you know, when you're from a small town, you know everybody. Everybody knows you. Man, I can't even begin to tell you. There were literally hundreds, if not thousands, of, of text messages, emails, uh, Facebook messages. Pray for you know Jason and his family. And and truly, I credit um, God's people for the miracle that took place on Christmas. Through the entire journey, the Lord has always provided. TIMELY PHONE CALLS, TEXT MESSAGES, PEOPLE THAT CAME BY, uh, MEALS PROVIDED, uh, PEOPLE JUST RANDOMLY STOPPED BY THE HOUSE JUST TO SAY, HEY, WANT TO CHECK ON YOU. DURING MY DARKEST TIMES, THE LORD ALWAYS PROVIDED a, uh, a, a RAY OF SUNSHINE, A RAINBOW TO LIFT MY SPIRITS. WHEN I STEP BACK AND LOOK AT WHAT HAPPENED, I can honestly say that the Lord has orchestrated all the details from my wife being calm to the loving support of my children encouraging me, to the medical staff, doctors, personnel, to my community that has encouraged me and kept me in prayer constantly. I can honestly and truly say the
0: Lord, He made not one mistake. The Stiltners are part of the Grace family, and this morning I would like you to welcome them to the platform. Would you do that with me? Hey guys, good to see you again. Can I get another 5 five? A low five and a high five? Thank you, sweet girl. So here we have Jason and Vicki, and we have Abram and Naomi, and Miss Naomi's kind of perched up on baby Stiltner right there. So congratulations, and Vicki, thank you for your service to our country. We really want you to know how much we appreciate you. So church family, I had heard about this accident and began to correspond with Jason some mostly via Facebook but said I really want to get together with you and want to talk more and so a few months ago we had lunch together and Jason just opened up and shared this story and really what he wanted to know was pastor how can I take this journey since Christmas of last year and how can I see that God gets glory? How can we get this out there to tell people that He doesn't make any mistakes, that God's got it. And I said, I know exactly what we need to do. And I connected him with Jesse, our lead videographer, Jesse Jones. And I would like you to join me in thanking Brother Jesse, because everything you saw he just put together in that amazing (laughs) video. And then I asked Jason to be patient with me. I said, let me wait until the Lord lays the right message on my heart to allow this to come together in such a way that we could hopefully encourage and inspire you And so Jason, I want to just give you this mic and, you know, brother, I want you to share your heart for just a second, but I I wanted to ask him really one question and for your family, what are some key lessons or takeaways that God's been showing you through this very, very difficult journey that you've been on?
1: Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for allowing us to share in, in the testimony. Thank you, Jesse. I'd love to say it's been easy. I'd love to say that there wasn't any bumps along the way and through it all, I can say that the Lord has been faithful through it all. I think most of us have probably heard the uh, cliché, God gives the toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. And, and I shared this with, with Pastor a few months ago, and, and I think that's, there's truth to that. And then I heard this quote, the Lord makes the toughest soldiers out of life's hardest battles. Yeah. And this, this right here was one of the toughest battles. If you know me, you know that I'm a self-sufficient, I'm a man's man, uh, I'm a go-getter. But I'm gonna tell you, this drew my family closer together, this drew me closer to the Lord. And I'm gonna tell you, this has been a monumental struggle. The shirt but God. In the first service, my surgeon was here, Dr. Harris. When he looked at my hand, let me, a, a, a backstory to that. There was another prominent surgeon here in Knoxville who looked at this, looked at my hand, looked at the post op report, and said, That's not a hand worth saving. Hmm. That's a hand that'll never be functional again. Well, Dr. Harris didn't subscribe to that, put my hand back on, and although my thumb doesn't quite work, my hand does. That's
0: right. Amen.
1: And I'm back to working full time. I'm back to climbing trees. I'm back to uh operating a bucket truck. And here's what I here's what I have come to understand. It is not my job to understand the why. Mm. It is my job to simply trust in the Father who saw fit to allow this to happen mm. for his glory. Mm. That's my job.
0: Just Amen. like Job. Amen. That's a great word, my friend. I did not know until the first service that backstory of another surgeon, it's not worth saving. But that phrase has rung in my head for the last hour and a half. And some of you today may look at your life and you may believe the the lie. Well, it's just not worth saving. Or I'm too mangled. I'm too messed up, man. There's too much that's gone wrong. You know, the devil tried me to get tried to get me to believe those lies a few years before i finally surrendered to ministry and man you can't you just look at you and if you listen to the eyes uh, the lies of the enemy you'll never trust in the great physician who says oh i can bring beauty from ashes and i can bring strength for tears and i can take all the broken things and all the things that were previously severed and i can bring them back together to function and so I want to pray for Jason and Vicky, for the kids, for Baby Stiltner. I want to pray for this family. I thank you for sharing your story. I believe some of you probably would love to be able to talk to a guy like this and be able to just maybe uh, man-to-man or family-to-family just talk about how they've navigated these waters because I like the fact that you say it's not been easy. And you haven't always woken up saying, oh, yay, thank you, because you don't love what's happened, but you love God who's more than able. So let me pray for you guys, and uh, let's continue to pray for this wonderful family, okay? Father in heaven, we thank you for Jason and Vicki, for Abram, for Naomi, for a little baby Stiltner, and we pray, God, that you would continue to draw them closer to you, closer to one another, closer to their family, and use even this story and this inspiring testimony to remind us that you've got this. And you never make any mistakes, not a single one. Thank you for the willingness of my brother to share his heart. And thank you for these who are here and these who are listening out there that need this word but God. In whose name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. One more time for Jason Stiltner and his family. Thank you, buddy. So I wanted to use Jason's story and see that before us as a segue to tell us that, you know, folks, we've all got something. It may not be nearly losing your hand. It it may not be um, losing a child or a wife, as the writer of the poem. But we've all got some storms. And if you haven't faced one yet, hang on. Because the nature of this world is such, God created us in his image according to his likeness. Perfect. He placed our first parents in a garden and gave them everything they needed. And yet in pride and believing the lies of the enemy, they thought they could be like God. And so they disobeyed the Father, and in disobeying the Father, they allowed sin not only into their lives, but into this world. And it not only affected their hearts and their relationship, it affected everything around us. And so that which was once intimate and together was now severed, separated, humanity and God. And there was a system for a period of time where you could bring animals and you could sacrifice them because the blood of the animal represented life. And by giving life, there was sort of this temporary arrangement where you could kind of come closer to the Lord. And yet, animal blood would ultimately never take away human sin. And so people like Job suffered in this life and made a cry before God that there would be someone that would have his hand on God and his hand on man, a mediator that would unite us, one who was like us, but different. And so in the fullness of time, through the Virgin Mary, God sent his only begotten Son, fully God, and yet simultaneously fully man. And Jesus was born into this sin-cursed world and walked her dusty streets and was tempted just like you and I are tempted, and yet in his full divinity, Jesus would never succumb to sin. And yet willingly, nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ allowed them to take him, allowed them to put him through a series of mock trials, allowed them to beat him, spit on him, shame him, put a scepter in his hand and a crown of thorns on his head, allowed himself to be stripped down and nailed to an old cross, allowed them to hang him up before a sneering and jeering crowd, the very people he had made in his image. And of course we know it wasn't the nails that held him there, but his love for us. Then they took his body down after he had truly died and they buried it in a borrowed tomb because he didn't have any earthly possessions. And the gospel story tells us that three days later by the power of Almighty God who accepted this perfect sacrifice of the sinless one, God raised him to new life, he ministered on this earth some 40 days and then he ascended back to the right hand of God the Father. We're right now in this moment, he's mediating between you and God. And he simply wants you to trust him. First, to trust him as your personal Lord and Savior. That gets him in the boat of your life to say, you know, God, I've messed up and mangled things pretty bad and it looks like I'm really severed from you, but you are the great physician and by faith I take Jesus into my life and I turn away from trusting sin and self and I turn to the Savior who is the way, the truth, and the life. I know I can't come to you but by him, so I trust him today. First, he wants you to trust him, but for many of us who have trusted him, he wants you to trust him again. I don't mean you're saved a second time, I mean you're not surrendering. I mean you're in the storm and you're still crying out, God, why are you asleep? And in knowing Jason's heart and Jason's story, I know there have been days where he's cried out, God, I don't like this. I don't want this. I never asked for this. But being that it is what it is, I trust you. I'll praise you. I'll share my story because somebody out there needs it. When we come to the Lord's table, that's what it reminds us of. It reminds us of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus who had his body broken so that ours could be whole, who had his blood spilled so that we would no longer have to bring those animals into the house of the Lord. And so I want you to take your elements cup and I want you to turn it over. We've tried to do something that was easier than the last style and you'll open just one tab, the tab with the bread in it. So the juice is facing down and you'll just open that and if you would please, just pull that bread out, that little wafer. See, Jesus didn't have these neat little wafers but in that upper room, when he was having his Passover meal, he took that and made it something new. And he held that unleavened bread. And as I like to remind you, that bread looked a certain way, flattened. The way it was baked, it would have had these bruise marks on it. It had these stripes in it. And then you can't see it maybe as well from where you are, but it was pierced. They poked it with holes. They had to cook it very quickly from the instructions God gave us way back in Exodus. But at 33, 33 and a half years of age, Jesus took this and he said, Fellows, I want you to look at this. Because this is my body, and it's broken for you. The great prophet Isaiah would remind us that he would be bruised for our transgressions, he would be wounded or pierced for our iniquities. But he also said that by his stripes we are healed. He took my place, you see, he took your place, and in communion. We are saying thank you. I remember. I acknowledge what you did for me. And I acknowledge that though it's still not easy sometimes, you are with me through it. Let me pray with us. Heavenly Father, just as Jesus took the bread and he blessed it, then he broke it and gave it to his disciples, so we come to this holy time known as communion, the Lord's Supper. We thank you the broken body of Christ by whom we are made whole and I pray that every man and woman every boy and girl born again baptized believer that takes communion either in the house of the Lord today or maybe in their own home I pray that they would have an attitude of sincere appreciation that gratitude would overflow from their heart because we remember what Jesus has done for us and continues to do as he is there at your right hand even now. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for paying the price that we could never pay. In your name we pray, amen. This is my body, broken for you. Jesus would instruct these guys over in John 6. He was teaching the difference between the manna that the fathers ate in his own self. He would speak of his body, and he said, This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, but he that eateth this bread shall live forever. On the same night, our Lord took the cup. Having blessed it, he gave it to his followers. If you'll open the top tab gently, please, you'll get to that juice. And he said, This is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant. And because the Bible has been very clear that life is in the blood, this represents life. And Jesus would teach them, not only would my body be broken for you, my blood would be shed for you. But without the shedding of blood, the writer of Hebrews teaches us, there's no remission, no forgiveness of sins. And so we also read that in 1 John 1-7, this beautiful statement that John teaches us. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's take. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Bible says on the night where our Lord took the Passover and instituted the first Lord's Supper or that last supper, they sang a hymn. they went out. As our musicians come back, we're going to circle back to that little song that Pastor Jeff wrote, When I Am Still. I would like to encourage you, as I did a little earlier today, some of you need to come. Now, some of you need to give your life to Christ. Pastors will be here to receive you now or after the service, if you're more comfortable, come to see Cindy and I. We have counselors and pastors there. Some of you, Need to come and lay some things before the Lord. I know, I know, I know. Many of you flooded the altars the last few weeks, and you say, but I've already been there. Well, you know, I don't think it ever hurts to go back and talk to the Lord about something again. I don't think that's a bad thing. And so I would encourage you, would you please just lay it down? Some of you to trust the Lord for the first time. Some of you to trust the Lord for the first time in a long time. Some of you to come and say, you know, I'm ready to jump in and be a part of what God is doing here. You can come. You can lay this before God on this holy day, this holy altar, in this holy place before a holy God. The one thing I can say with absolute certainty today is no matter what your storm looks like, no matter how bad it may seem to be, God makes Not one mistake. Stand with me. Father in heaven, as we bow in your presence, the one thing I am absolutely certain of is that you got this. You are in control. I'm also quite sure today that there are some people here struggling. In a room with this many folks, I am quite sure there are some folks here that are dealing with some difficult, difficult things. There are some people that need to come or come again and lay it before your throne and say, God, take away the anxieties, the worries, the burden. They can pray, take away the storm as well. That's a perfectly wonderful prayer, and I think we should ask. But whether you choose to take away the storm, whether you choose to move the mountain, or whether you choose to take us through it or get us over it, we will trust you. We will praise you. We will claim victory in Jesus' name. We will say that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We will proclaim that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We will claim that nothing can separate us from your love, neither height nor depth, nor created things, nor things in the past, nor things to come, but that you love us with an everlasting love. We will proclaim by faith that you are greater than all of the storms and you can walk all over them, Jesus. We will make that claim today. We will stand on the authority of your word today. God, some people need to do some business with you right here, right now for their good, but ultimately for your glory. So move them. Move us to get on our face before you and say, oh, King Jesus, I need you in this. I don't want to believe that you're asleep. I know that you're working all things together for my good and your glory, even in the context of suffering. God, help me to know I am not alone. God, move us in these moments that we have. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for watching us today.